Um, so we're reading of Genesis 3. Okay, we're going to read the first 19 verses. So now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not die, the snake said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, from your eyes you will be opened. You will be like God. You will know good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree really did look good for food and pleasing to the eye and was desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they quickly sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the snake, Because you've done this, curse to you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put in enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Oh, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children and your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it and all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Thank you, Neil, for leading. Thank you for all those that work hard behind the scenes. Thank you to uh, Alan for preaching last week. I should have been here preaching last week, uh, but I wasn't well, Jackie wasn't well, and uh, at the last minute, Alan stood in. So if you came expecting to see Phil Sapi preaching this evening, he's sitting there just behind Neil, uh, but you'll be getting him in the very near future. Uh, but this passage that we've been looking at, uh, that uh, Neil read to us, is so important that we get to understand the, the teaching that is there for us and to show the love of God, how God, right there in the very early chapters of Genesis, put in place a means of salvation. The aim of tonight's uh, sermon really is it's, uh, twofold. Uh, it's to show that Adam and Eve had to be cast out of the Garden of Eden. It was necessary for them to be cast out of the Garden of Eden. And why the cross of Calvary is so important. Also, it's about the broken relationship between man and God that took place there in the Garden of Eden and how that relationship was restored to us at Calvary. I wonder if you've ever done anything that you instantly regret. A few years ago, I went to a wedding, 
and the wedding was lovely. The reception was in a marquee in somebody's garden. It was, it was lovely. But the day was spoiled by rain. It was tipping down with rain. And as the bride and groom stood just, stood just inside the entrance of the marquee to greet all their guests, there was an awning that other guests could queue up to go down. Well, there were so many people at this wedding that not all of us could get underneath. Some had umbrellas. And we'd got an umbrella, we'd worked our way down the, the queue until we got underneath this awning. And I was standing there chatting to a doctor friend of ours and uh, my, my older brother. And the awning didn't have sides on it, it just had this, this top. And I could see in this awning the water beginning to pool. You know, there was, it was collecting in there in a nice little, little um, pool of water there. And I, in my stupid way, I thought, you know, if I just push that bit of canvas up, the water will cascade down. My doctor friend that was standing opposite me was standing with his umbrella half in and half out of the awning, and I thought, the water will come off, it'll hit the umbrella, and it'll splash on my brother. And I thought, that'd be funny. <laughs> well, I started to push this up, and as it went up, the uh, doctor with the umbrella over his shoulder just at the right, or just the wrong moment, leant back to see what I was doing. His umbrella came out from inside the awning. The water poured out all over him, and I couldn't have got him wetter if I'd emptied a couple of buckets over him. Well, I don't know whether you've seen John Cleese, but you go, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. And that's how I felt on that occasion. This is something that happened in the Garden of Eden. And I'm sure that Eve regretted it deeply. It was such a terrible thing that uh, had happened. And it brought about the separation between man and God. And you know, separation is hard. Divorce is hard. It brought about the exile of Adam and Eve from paradise, from that beautiful place. And they were cast out. But most of all, the relationship between God and man had been broken. As is often the case when I preach, I've got three headings. Would you believe? They all begin with a letter C. So tonight's uh, uh, headings are the cause of sin, the consequence of sin, and the cure of sin. The cause of sin. You know, we often make a joke as to the person of the devil. But he is a very, very real person. He's often known as Lucifer or Morning Star. He's given a few other titles as well. But he is a created being. He was made and created by God. In uh, Ezekiel 28, you can read ab about him. Uh, he was very beautiful. And uh, Ezekiel 28 says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, cornelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazlu, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. And there was something about morning star, Lucifer, that was really beautiful. He was really attractive, and he stood out from all the other created angels and heavenly beings. And he was created sinless. We're told in Ezekiel that you were blameless in your ways from the days you were created till wickedness 
was found in you. And this created being, Satan, was in heaven, perfect in every way. And then we read in Isaiah chapter 14 that he wanted to rise above God and he wanted to be God himself. And Isaiah says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zion. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. You see, pride had come into the heart of the devil. He wanted to be greater than God. And that pride had ruined his relationship between man and God. And we live in an age where people say, you've got to celebrate pride. But this was something that brought about a dreadful division between man and God. And of course, the devil was going to suffer for his sins later on. And so when we're going through this series that we're looking at in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, we find that we've come to this point where at the end of... Chapter 1, we find that everything is good and perfect. And we come to Genesis chapter 3, and we find that something is going terribly wrong. Satan's pride had got the better of him. Now, Satan is very cunning. And he is uh, careful in his ways, but his intention is to lead people astray and separate them from God. Just imagine that scene in the Garden of Eden when God had created this perfect environment for Adam and Eve to be living in. And not only was it a perfect environment, but God himself came into that garden and he would walk with Adam and Eve. Now we can speculate as to what was said in the Garden of Eden. I would love to have been a fly uh, on a tree or on a leaf and listen to what they had to say. Did God explain to Adam and to Eve how he made the elephants and why he made them the way he did? You know, why with that funny great trunk at the front of them? Why did God make them like that? Or maybe he, he explained to them how he created the stars and he put them in perfect places and how the earth was put just in the right place. Do you know cosmologists look at the, the placing of our earth in its solar system and they say it has the Goldilocks effect. Now, what that means, you know the story of, of Goldilocks and the three bears, where she goes along and she tries the, the porridge and one is too hot and one is too cold, but one of them is just right. Or she tries the beds. One of them is too hard. The other is too soft. But one of them is just right. And these cosmologists, as they look at how our planet is situated in our solar system, and they say it's just right. It's Goldilocks. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. But on top of that, it's in a position where we can see into the distance, and we can see how wonderful God's creation is. Now, did Adam talk to God about that and God explained to him how he did that? I don't know. But what he did do, he took time to explain something very, very important to Adam. In chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we read these words. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, what can't you understand about that? What was difficult about that? God didn't give them lots and lots of commands. He gave them just one command, and that one command was, that tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden, do not eat from it. Nothing else he had to say to them, but do not eat from that tree. You can eat from all the other trees. They're beautiful, and there's food there for every, every taste, every desire. But then Satan came along, and this is his method. This is how Satan works. So we find in verse 1 that Satan questions God's word. And friends, we know today in this world, Satan is questioning God's word. He says, did God really say, are you sure of this? Are you certain that that's really what God meant? You know, it's a lovely piece of fruit. Are you sure that that's what what he, he said? And then he goes on in verse 4 of chapter 3, he goes on to say, you will not die. He's denying the word of God. God has made it very clear. He said, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. Now, death hadn't been in the world until this time. And maybe Adam and Eve didn't understand fully the implications of death. But God had told them, if you eat from that fruit, you will die. And now Satan is saying, you sure that's really what's going to happen? No, you won't really die. And so he misinterprets God's word. He says, the problem is, God doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. Because when you eat from that fruit, your eyes will be opened, and you will be able to know everything. Somebody once very wisely wrote these words, the world has Satan's graffiti all over it. Because Satan has corrupted the word of God, and he's, he's challenged and, and disputed the word of God. And uh, look at what Satan is doing in our world today. God has made it very clear that marriage is between one man and woman. But Satan is saying in the world, why shouldn't two men marry if they're in love? We know that the sanctity of life is so important, and little babies are so vulnerable. But the world is saying, because this is what Satan is whispering in their ears, why have a baby if it's inconvenient? It's only a baby, only a fetus. Get rid of it. Have it aborted. Why? Uh, we know from, from the first chapters of Genesis that God made us male and female. And uh, the devil says in this world today, well, we can have whatever number of genders we want. The devil is very active, and he's very active in our world today. You only need to look around. As, uh, as somebody said, this graffiti of, of Satan is all around us. And I have to tell you that in pre preparing this sermon, I came, came under such oppression, so, so many difficulties, and, and I wasn't well. I wanted to preach this sermon. I really felt that this was what God wanted me to, to speak about. But it seems that the devil has tried to put every sort of obstacle in the way to make it difficult. Hugh Latimer once said, the devil is most diligent of 
preachers. In other words, he concentrates his efforts on preachers. And this is a very important passage that we're looking at because it shows us how sin came into the world and what it did to us in this world and how God set about rectifying that situation. So Eve took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and gave some to her husband. What a tragedy. Did she, immediately that she had done that, did she, like I did with this uh, water and uh, soaking my friend, did she immediately think, ah, I should never have done that. But it was done. You couldn't undo it. I couldn't do anything about my friend Kevin who was soaked to the skin because of my foolishness. I couldn't put the clock back. And the sin in the Garden of Eden had been done. So what was the consequence of, of this act of Eve and Adam in taking from the fruit that they were forbidden? It wasn't just a, a polite request. It was a command that God said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. Well, we read in verse 7 that their eyes were opened. And in this world, we think it's good to have your eyes open, to know what's going on around you. And to a certain extent, that is true. But what had happened was that the innocence of Adam and Eve had been taken from them. And now they knew that they were naked. And we live in a world where people think to take the innocence of our young children in schools is okay. This is the work of the devil. We see drag queen story time going on in schools. And people that complain about it are the people that are being uh, prosecuted and persecuted. So uh, so the devil wanted to take away the innocence of Adam and Eve. They were certainly unaware of the devil's evil schemes. And uh, they, they weren't made, Adam and Eve weren't made in a way that made them robots or or automatons. They were people that were created with a free will to make their own decisions and to choose what they wanted. Supposing you were a young person and you were looking for the love of your life, be it a man or be it a woman, and you met this person and they did everything just as you wanted. They, uh, uh, They loved the same things as you did. In my case, they'd have supported West Ham worn a West Ham shirt, they would, have, they would have laughed at my jokes and they would have cooked the food that I love. And I'd have thought, this person is exactly what I want. And then one day I found a little panel on the back of their head. And I opened the panel and there was a lot of switches which was able to program this person to do and be exactly what I wanted them to be. God didn't create Adam and Eve as automatons. They weren't robots. They were allowed to choose whether they wanted to be obedient to God or whether they wanted to follow what Satan was tempting them with. And so they used this free will that they had. They used the free will to choose something which God had plainly told them that they must not do. What was the consequence? First and foremost, the relationships were broken. The relationship with God. Disobedience led to sin coming between man and his maker. You see, God is a holy God. Holiness means that God is perfect in all his ways. 
He's sinless and he's separate from us. Yes, we're made in the image of God, but God is distinct and he is separate. And he cannot have anything to do with sin. And so when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that relationship, that time when they'd been walking in the garden, that was broken and they were no longer able to have the relationship with God that they'd had previously. No doubt the relationship with themselves was broken too. I don't know about you, but uh, I often talk to myself. And uh, I like talking to myself because usually I get the right answers and uh, hear what I want to hear. But I wonder, when Adam and Eve broke God's laws, when they disobeyed him, I wonder how they felt about themselves. They must have thought, how foolish, how stupid to have listened to the snake and to have participated in taking what God had forbidden for us to take. We know that not only was the relationship between God and themselves uh, broken, between them, themselves, they, they were disappointed and angry with themselves, but also the relationship between one another was broken. We heard when Paul was preaching a little while ago that they realized that they were naked. Up until now, they'd been comfor comfortable with their nakedness, but now they were aware of their nakedness. And God had to do an act of atonement by taking skins from an animal and covering them up, covering their nakedness. And when God came walking in the garden, well, it was understandable that Adam and Eve would want to hide from God, and so they hid from him, and, uh, and God came looking for, for them. And when he finds Adam, what is it that Adam says to, uh, to God? He says, it's that woman, that woman that you gave me. She tempted me into eating from the fruit. And when God addresses the woman, she said, it's the snake. You, you created the snake. And then when God turns to the snake, the snake hasn't got a leg to stand on. We know that uh, something dreadful happened in the garden. We know that sin entered into the hearts of mankind. And from now on, things would be very, very different. God tells uh, Eve very clearly that uh, she would suffer in childbirth among many other things. That man would have to work hard to feed himself and his family. That the animals no long, were no longer safe to be with. They would be wild and dangerous. And that Adam would only be able to eat by working the ground in which thorns and thistles were, would grow. And those very thorns that would grow as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve were the thorns that would be placed upon the head of their saviour to redeem them. You see, the devil has no constructive purpose in this world except to spoil what God has made. And we must recognise that, that, that the devil doesn't want us to be at peace with one another. He doesn't want us to be at peace with ourselves. And last of all, he doesn't want us to be at peace with God. He wants to destruct everything that he possibly can. And believe me, friends, as we look around today, we can see that the devil is extremely active. 
Well, the consequence of, uh, of the sin of Adam and Eve was that they were to be expelled from paradise. Perfection exchanged for grief and sorrow. There was no way to the tree of life. You see, there were two trees in the garden. They, could only, uh, they were only forbidden to eat from one tree, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they were allowed, and they could have done, they could have eaten from the tree of life. And had they eaten from the tree of life, they would have lived forever. But now that they have broken God's law, they must be cast out of the Garden of Eden, out of paradise, because God does not want them to live forever in their, sinless, sorry, in their sinful state. God wants to prevent them living forever. And so, exactly as God had said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And so death entered into the equation. Up until this time, death had never been in the world. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and you'll know this verse well, sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people, because all sinned. So death came into the world. Death had never existed in the world before that. Everyone would live and live forever. But now death had entered because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And there are two deaths. There's the physical death. Our bodies start to decay almost right from the very beginning of life. And as I continue in my uh, 80s, I discover that fewer and fewer things work like they used to work. And we know that our bodies are decaying. And we know that it's not so very far now before the death that God is talking about, our physical death, it's not so very far between now and when that occurs. But there's also a second death. And God talks about this second death. For those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be given eternal life. That's what was promised with the tree of life. Eternal life. But unless you know the Savior, then you will not receive eternal life. In fact, the alternative is, is dreadful. We know that God has prepared a place for Satan and for all his followers, and they will one day be cast into the lake of fire, all because they fail to understand Genesis chapter 3 and the importance of Genesis chapter 3. So we've dealt with the cause of sin, the consequences of sin, but now the cure of sin. God's promise, right from the very beginning. And the Old Testament is full of prophecies. But right from the very beginning, God has made this prophecy known. He says to, uh, to Adam and Eve, I will put enmity, sorry, he says to the, to the snake, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And this is the first of, of many proper, uh, prophecies. And the Apostle Paul picks up this theme in his closing remarks of uh, Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. He says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God was promising that that relationship that had been broken between himself and mankind would one day be restored. And that is when the devil will get his comeuppance, when the devil will be crushed 
And that is what God was promising. That's what happened on the cross of Calvary. Yes, Jesus was wounded. His heel was bruised. But Satan was once and for all defeated. And the cost of salvation. Well, the cost of salvation is huge. Compare the following. The fall of mankind took place in a beautiful garden, surrounded by peaceful animals, fruitful trees, clear streams of water. Compare that with salvation that comes on an ugly hill with darkened skies, snarling, hateful people, and a saviour who thirsted. Jesus hanging upon the cross. Why was he hanging upon the cross? Because he wanted to restore that relationship between man and God. He was dealing with the whole problem of sin because he was suffering on that cross to take our sin. That sin that, that started with Eve, that was passed to Adam and throughout mankind. It was Jesus hanging upon the cross that he might restore us to a relationship with himself. The greatest tragedy in man's history took place, of all places, in paradise, when sin entered the world. Yet the greatest act of kindness takes place on Execution Hill with a man crucified between two thieves. The route to the tree of life was blocked by cherubim in the garden, but eternal life is received only through the sacrifice of the very Son of God. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ rendered us, uh, sorry, Christ re redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. That first sin in the Garden of Eden was a dreadful act of disobedience to God. And yet it was God that sent his own son to go to the cross and to die to redeem us, to bring us back to himself. What love God must have for you and I. And so when we look at the tragedy of, uh, of the Garden of Eden, of paradise, what happened there with Adam and Eve, do you think that didn't affect God? Of course it affected him. He was broken-hearted that we should, we should disobey him. One law that he gave, and people could not obey that. But it cost him so much to bring us back to himself. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Remember that story where I wish I had never done what I did. So embarrassing. But it was only water. Now imagine what it was like for Eve and Adam as they took from the fruit and sin entered the world and sin passed upon all men because all have sinned. And now imagine the love of God poured out on people like you and me, because he wants to restore us into that relationship with himself. Now, I don't know who's listening to this on, uh, online. I don't know who's here this, this evening, where your relationship is with God. 
But God loves you very much. And God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants you to bring you into his paradise, which we can enter through belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I've spoken to people, and I've got members of my own family who say, but I don't want to think about that now. I don't want to make that decision now. I want to live and enjoy this world and enjoy this life while I can. And maybe towards the end of my life, I'll think about being right with God. Friends, many people go into eternity with those good intentions, but never having acted upon them. But the Lord Jesus holds out his hands and says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The Lord Jesus wants us to make the right decision to be in his presence and there to be forevermore. Genesis chapter 3 is very important. It's important because it shows us how the relationship between ourselves and our God was broken. A God who loved us and gave us the very best of everything with just one rule, one law to obey. And we broke it. And God says there's only one way back to God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's ensure that we don't make the same mistake as many who say, well, we'll put it off until another day. Let's make sure that we are the people that God wants us to be in this world, a shining light showing people the way of salvation by the way that we live. The Christian life is not a dull and boring life. It's a full life. And the relationships that we have with one another are so great because we have that same relationship with the Lord Jesus and with God through Jesus' death. Let's go from this place and let's share our faith with others, showing that what, what happened in the Garden of Eden has been overcome by what, by what happened on the cross of Calvary when Jesus suffered and died, that we might be restored to a relationship with him. Let's bow our heads for a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have written your word, which is so clear to us, that shows us that man is in a broken relationship because of sin. And our sin spoils not only our relationship with you, but with one another. And we thank you, Lord, that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have a restored relationship. We can have a relationship with you, which is a daily one where we know you overlook us and look after us and care for us. You're a good shepherd, and we can have a good relationship with one another. What a wonderful experience it is to have Christian brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, we pray that you will help us to understand the reality of sin, the reality of the activity of the devil in this world. We see it all around us. But help us, Lord, to be those that follow your word and live for you and live according to your word, that your name might be honored and glorified in our lives, that others might come to faith in you. Bless us, each one, we pray. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, in which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, thanks, uh, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.